Hello, welcome to episode six of the Business Support Podcast from Skipton Bid and Rumbles Radio. I'm Stuart Clarkson, and as businesses start to open up again or adapt to post-pandemic worlds, we've been talking to a range of experts to provide some help and advice across a range of different topics to help your business. Earlier in the series, we discussed stress and well-being in the workplace, HR issues, hospitality and tourism, and in the last episode, we looked at reinventing or pivoting your business. Uh, do check out some of the previous episodes for lots of useful advice and this time we've teamed up again with the Skipton and Ripon Enterprise Group to talk about business finance and repaying loans that you might have taken out during the pandemic with us on this episode we've got Colin Glass a business advisor and accountant from Murray Harcourt Chartered Accountants hello Colin hi morning Andrew Kitchingman is with us, an experienced board chairman and non-exec director whose background is also as a chartered accountant and a corporate financier. Good morning. And Stephen Dinsmore with us as well, a corporate finance manager at Armstrong Watson. Hi, Stuart. I suppose, first of all, the question is whether you know it's a big business or a small business that we're talking about. It's all about money, isn't it? It's about making money or borrowing money and then paying it back, but ultimately making some money from a business. So, I wondered, first of all, if we'd go around each of you and find out your assessment of how things are in business finance at the moment. Are we in a good place or a bad place? Let's start with Colin. Well, obviously, today is a momentous uh, occasion because retail businesses are, are getting back on the business today. Uh, and the feeling is there's a pent up demand for uh, the goods and people have been saving up to uh, you know, sort of get back into spending their money on things they've had to wait for. Uh, as far as the businesses are concerned, the government have brought in various initiatives ever since lockdown started. And some of these initiatives are very good, such as the bounce back loans and the civil uh, loans uh, for helping businesses with the COVID virus situation. So um, I think there's cause for optimism. But uh, time will tell. Yeah, I suppose smaller business in particular might have been struggling when they've not been allowed to open. But uh, Stephen, as uh, Colin says, that optimism is there now because they can trade again. Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all got haircuts and beer gardens booked for the uh, for the coming weeks, and uh, we're all looking forward to uh, it's going out again. But yeah, a lot of businesses have a lot of optimism out there and you know there's a lot of adaptations being made by businesses to you know to comply with the the regulations that have been put in place so they can make the uh the most of the new normal or the the guidelines until touch wood we can uh, return to some normality later in the year and andrew i know a lot of your work is with larger businesses Are, are they more optimistic or less optimistic do you think than the the smes i think it's uh, it's very sector specific Stuart. so i i trade across a number of industrial sectors uh, but by and large i haven't touched hospitality pubs clubs restaurants and, and those sort of sectors which have been panned obviously uh, in in engineering and support services and even in property by and large the companies that i deal with have done okay Within that, it depends on how well companies were financed coming into the pandemic. And so if they had very secure finances with good long-term facilities and they were good at cash flow planning, then by and large, they did okay. If they were a hospitality business with poor debt structure and lousy cash flow planning, they've probably had a, a nightmare if they survived at all. 
Yeah, and we'll get on to talk about cash flow and, and things a little bit later uh, in this podcast. I wonder what you all thought as well of the, the government support that's been provided in terms of the grants and the loans. Could more have been done or actually, compared to other countries, have, have we as a nation done well to support our businesses? I think, Stuart, we struck a very good balance. I mean, we were very fortunate. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. And with the man sitting in number 11 throughout all of this, in my view anyway, he's a bit of a hero. So I think he, he acted fast and he provided deep and broad facilities, whether it's CJRS or it's CBILS or it's bounce back, you, you name it, large or small, sector agnostic. So very, very good. And I think where he didn't go too far, but where perhaps uh, the new Biden administration has done is by providing that extra level of liquidity, sort of pump supply into the economy. And, you know, one of the big worries people have is about inflation kicking off where there isn't enough supply to meet demand. I don't think he's done that here. So I think that, um, you know, Sunak has been the man for the moment, really. Stephen, the small businesses that you work with, have they taken up the support and used it? Yeah, a lot of them have. We as a firm, one of our specialities is within hospitality. We have a lot of B&Bs, hotels and those sort of businesses. And yeah, they've obviously, it's been a lifeline for them in terms of the, the support that's there. It's hard to kind of broad stroke the, the support that's that's been out there. I think they've done an, an awful lot for an awful lot of businesses. I think that like we've all probably come across cases where you think they probably could have helped a certain business or, or a certain sector in more detail. But by and large, I think that the support that's been put out there has been very good. I suppose the downside is the the impact on uh, you know borrowing and things like that. So, kind of a short term gain in a lot of respects, isn't it, Colin? Yeah, I think the government moved incredibly quickly, as uh, Andrew uh, said, really, uh, to bring out the the loans almost overnight. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they managed to do that, but uh, the British Business Bank. Uh, has helped to sort of administer this. In the main, it's been very, very successful. And I think at first, when they did the Sybils loans, the banks were still a bit shaky because they were only covered by 80% guarantee, whereas the bounce back loans, it was 100%. So they went out of the door very quickly. Now, you know, in the press, everybody's probably read about, there will be some fraud cases that will come up, but I think there will be very small relative to the numbers that have gone out. Uh, and you've got to look at the benefits that um, were gained. I mean, I, I'm involved in a number of small companies and the uh, the bounce back loans up to £50,000 has been a bit of a, a lifesaver for many. And some admittedly have just used it as an insurance policy. They've taken the money and they've got it there just in case. And now as, they, as we sort of hopefully come out of lockdown, that money will be used and I've seen how that is happening. So um, I I think the government have done, not only with the loans, but um, with the furlough scheme and other things, obviously they can't cover absolutely everything. And now the media has so much um, sort of power, if you like, that the things that do slip through get a lot of publicity. But in the main, I think it's been a, a really great help 
to most small businesses. And we talked about those uh, those loans that have been available. Some of those schemes have now come to an end at the end of March. And uh, there's now a, a recovery loan scheme. Stephen, you're across a lot of the, the detail of this. What's what's different about it and how does it work? The recovery loan scheme is similar to the to Siebel's in Bounce Back in that the government provided a guarantee to the lenders, but they're, they're not the, the benefits of Siebel's and the Bounce Back loan scheme in terms of the initial period of no repayments being made uh, and the interest isn't covered for 12 months by the government uh, nor the arrangement fee which which were prevalent under Siebel's and bounce back loans. Other than that they, they've removed some of the turnover restrictions so people are able to access funding regardless of the turnover. Again it's very similar it's going to be distributed through a network of accredited lenders at the minute there's only 18 currently accredited on the scheme that's expected to grow similar to Siebel's started out very early doors through just the mainstream banks and then as the scheme progressed as lenders applied and were granted accreditation they started to uh, to open the door to i think there's about 90 or over 90 in total towards the end of the scheme and they're expecting similar numbers under under the new scheme facility terms can be up to six years depending on the on the type of facility that that lenders take and the the maximum value that anybody can borrow is is 10 million pounds under the scheme there are eligibility criteria in terms of that maximum amount that you can take and lenders will choose which of those they they uh, want to use when they're setting their guidelines, which was something that, that they did under Siebel's, the most common of which was 25% of your turnover in 2019, although you can use double your wage bill. Or the third one, which hardly anybody used, which was a self-certified amount that the business needed for their cash flow requirements over the next 18 months. But there were, there were very few lenders using that that one. Most went for the, the hard and fast rules. And this money that people are borrowing, it's not like a normal business bank loan in, in the sense that there doesn't seem to be any risk with it. Is that right? Uh, well, no, first and foremost, with any of the loans, the, the repayment comes down to the business. There are no personal guarantees allowed under, this, under the scheme for, uh, for facilities less than 250000 One of the, the things which stands out to me under the guidelines on the British Business Bank uh, information so far is that if lenders can do better terms under normal commercial lending, then they should continue to do so. There was something very similar at the start of Siebel's, whereby Siebel's was supposed to be used as a bit of a, a backup, a bit like the old EFG scheme. And it, it will be interesting that got fairly quickly removed. So at the start of Siebel's, personal guarantees were allowed to be taken for less than 250000 but it was dropped fairly quickly. So it'd be interesting to see how that holds up. I mean, for example, I know one high street bank that fixed their Siebel's rates and the rates that they were charging up under Siebel's were higher than their normal commercial lending rates. So kind of by default, all of their applications would fall under, can they do terms better commercially? So they would always do that. And that goes down the route of, you know, usual security and, and things like that. Andrew mentioned, um, you know, it depends on the state of your business in the first place. But should companies really be taking out debt and taking on new loans if if they've already got existing loans that they haven't yet yeah. repaid back? No, it's a, it's a good question. It it's always down to the individual business and and the affordability. You know, and quite simply, our, our businesses comfortable that they are going to be able to make those repayments as and when they fall due. You know, it, it's down to the likes of myself, Colin, Andrew, to have those conversations with, with clients and you know, kind of remind them that they might have had a Siebel's or a bounce back loan, but those repayments are going to start shortly. 
and these new lines they don't have that 12 months grace period it's it's straight away it's you know you start making repayments one month into the uh into the loan yeah colin i, I suppose uh that's that's the risky take isn't it that these newer loans you you need them the cash flow there to be able to pay the money back and you know if you've taken a large loan that could be a lot of cash that you need yeah absolutely which brings us back to the importance of having financial information well we would say that as all chartered accountants but um it really is important to um colloquially have your uh records up to date so you can and especially cash flow forecasting uh to ensure that you're not going to be almost reckless in taking on funding that you can't show that you can afford to repay. I mean, we all know we're forecasting the future, but you can do it in a responsible way so that you can see how um, how the business is going to come out of the, uh, of the lockdown and move forward and grow. And so the loans play a very, very important part. And uh, prior to this, the banks whatever they said, were not really uh, keen to finance uh, SMEs unless they were really uh, solid. And some of the SMEs are in growth phase and, you know, can't really satisfy the bank's requirements in normal circumstances. So these loans have been um, a godsend in, in that sense. And maybe it will change the view of the government and the banks going forward because SMEs count for maybe 95, 98% of the economy, they're the lifeblood of the economy at various levels, and they really need the support from the banks. Uh, hence, this is why the British Business Bank was brought in in the first place, but um, that is important. It's going to be very interesting to see how the banks are going to behave in normal lending circumstances going forward, because you know, as you alluded to there, like th- things were tight already. And, you know, we've all seen applications for, for borrowing for banks where they'll, they'll get hold of something, then they'll stress test it beyond anything reasonable and then want all debt covering two and a half, three times in some cases. You look at businesses and, and you know, potentially they've, they've had a rough year in terms of potentially additional debt. They've deferred HMRC liabilities, HMRCs jumped up the food chain in terms of becoming preferential. So all those things would probably push businesses outside of your traditional mainstream bank lending criteria pre-pandemic. So it'd be very interesting to see how the information and how the position of businesses coming out the other end of this is treated by the banks and whether there's any particular things of some banks have lent two, three years worth of money in a year to see what their appetite is going to be for businesses on the other end of this. Andrew, uh, I suppose the advice in um, personal finance is always, you know, pay off the debt that's got the biggest interest rate first. Uh, that's always seems to be the kind of the, the sensible way of doing it. In, in terms of businesses, if you're on a, a board and you've got different loans and you've got HMRC debt, which debt should you be covering first? Can you make overpayments on loans and things like that? Depends hugely on how you put your capital stack together. Clearly, HMRC is a priority creditor. So, don't deal with them at your peril, to be frank. Because <laughs> they could wind you up and shut you down, essentially. Um, but, but, but I think, you know, when I, when I look across the, the, the landscape that I, I'm involved in, there's still this huge, almost sort of capital provision gap for smaller businesses desiring to grow and where the banks are very reticent to lend. So the government-backed schemes, whereby the bank lends and the government guarantees is, is very welcome. But it certainly doesn't solve the longer term problem 
in providing the necessary capital to get the great businesses of, of down the road going. And, and the, the banking system, I think, is still quite sclerotic in that respect. They became much more cautious after the, after the banking crash of the, of the late, the late noughties. And uh, they, are, they remain, aside from the government schemes, acutely cautious in terms of uh, advancing money to smaller, fast-growing, exciting businesses. And of course, the personal guarantee is always required in normal terms. Yeah, we had Mark on from the British Business Bank on a, a previous episode of this podcast series, and the other thing that he was bringing to the party was the the Northern Powerhouse funding and the schemes that mm. are, are around for people in Yorkshire and the North at the moment. So we're in a slightly better position in that the government seems to be prioritising places outside London for funding. Yes, I mean that, that's that's true. That that comes from various pledges, obviously in two thousand and nineteen, levelling up, and uh, they have a quite a number of MPs who are new in roles still or fairly new in roles so if, I guess they think if they to stand a chance of retaining their retaining their seats in Parliament uh, some money had better flow to their constituencies. Yeah having been on the Royal of the British Business Bank uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to be there when it more or less started uh, and was there when they uh, created the Northern Powerhouse Investment Fund um, it was obviously a political move, uh, as you say, Andrew, because levelling up in the north, that was the start. George Osborne said, if you can get the LEPs to put money in, then the British Business Bank will put money in. But it's been very successful and they've got some good fund managers and they've uh, got a number of funds, um, both an equity fund and uh, a debt fund and uh, for smaller businesses as well, you know, microfinance as well. So, That is one of the successes, I think, that has happened uh, over the last uh, three or four years. And um, also they are lending under under the uh, civil rules or have been lending under the civil rules as well. So, yeah, I think that sort of thing uh, has been very helpful. Also, we haven't really mentioned um, about equity and uh, getting equity into smaller companies as well. So... That is another area. Yeah, and are, are are there individuals and companies looking to invest in businesses at the moment? Is it a good time for kind of investment bankers and capital groups to to push money into businesses? It comes down to size and, and maturity of the company, but there are probably more specific funds within private equity groups in existence today. Some of them very sector specific, so fintech and biotech and electronic technology focused at businesses which are proof of concept is there so the thing works they're only just into revenue perhaps but they're quite a way away from being profitable from being EBITDA positive and I don't remember any time when there were so many different players around looking to invest in promising businesses of the future uh, from an equity perspective and I think when you're that size clearly you need equity because you don't have profits to cover interest uh, payments on on debt facilities. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about where we are with, you know, the proliferation of smaller equity funds focused in, in exciting areas for the economy. But presumably, as you say, you've got to have an existing established business to access that, which is why we see things like crowdfunding for brand new ideas and startups and entrepreneurs who say, well, I'm going to try and sell this product before we've even built the first one. Brand new ideas are a different matter entirely. 
I mean, we're all old enough to remember the the dot com boom and the dot com crash. You know, when you could float your grandmother on the stock market at a high valuation. Um, clearly, we're, we're not quite there. Um, and and I think that if you do want to do a complete startup, then you're looking at family and friends and maybe crowdfunding around that. Yes, as you suggest, uh, yeah. I don't know of any funds that are specifically set up professionally to invest in startups, but Colin and Stephen may know better. Yeah, I mean, there's been a growth in the business angel movement. That is definitely uh, an area which has expanded in, in recent times because, you know, people have sold their businesses in, in one case. And in other cases, the, the rates of interest are so low uh, in building societies and, and banks. Uh, leaving your money on deposit uh, is not a very good idea. Now, obviously, investing in startups or early stage companies is the highest of high risks. But if you do it on a portfolio basis, you know, balance it out, you only need one to come off to pay for all the others that won't. But it's a very important area. And um, that is also being encouraged um, at government level. Uh, and, you know, there are more groups growing up to help business angels uh, sort of invest their money in startups. You're listening to the Business Support Podcast from Skipton Bid and Rombolds Radio with us three chartered accountants, Colin Glass, Andrew Kitchingman and Stephen Dinsmore. One of the other things we talked about on uh, our last podcast was exit strategies. Uh, much of that, uh, the discussion was about putting up a business for sale and looking for somebody to buy it. But um, presumably there are other options for getting out of your business. And we said last time having an exit strategy should be one of the first things you do when you start your business and something you're continually reviewing. Um, but, you know, there are mergers, there are management buyouts, lots of other different ways that you could transfer your business to someone else these days and I don't know whether it's me but we seem to have seen a few more mergers in professional services companies and things during the pandemic with certainly regionally state agents I'm thinking of and accountants people like that teaming up together and forming bigger companies is that the way forward in some of these sectors I think so I think that what the pandemic has done has given everybody kind of a a chance to reflect on where they want their business to, to go and what their ultimate goal is kind of anecdotally our corporate finance team across the board is having more of these conversations around some form of exit than we've ever had in, in terms of the, the volume of businesses that are, that are approaching us to, to discuss these things. And yeah, I, I think that it's not just a sale, it is you know, an MBO, an MBI. We're, we're seeing a lot of vendor-initiated MBOs at, at the minute uh, as well. I think that there was a, a bit of false demand created by a potential increase in in cgt that that was uh, rumored to be done uh, around the budget but again i think that that just kind of brought it to the forefront of people's minds of actually why am i here what is the the long-term goal for this business and uh, as andrew and colin uh, i'm sure will agree is you know you need to start planning your exit well in advance of where you're going to when you are going to exit and speak with your advisors on potential succession team whether that's internal or external. And the sooner you do that, the better it will be ultimately for you to to get what you want out of the business. Colin, I think you've got some recent-ish experience of this with your own business a couple of years ago. Is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, we we merged. But that, thank goodness, before, before anybody knew about COVID-19. But that was because, quite honestly, as much as I love working and uh, I'm not going to retire, uh, one's got to be realistic. And... 
finding good people is the hardest job, particularly for, for small companies. So we decided at first we, we looked for um, a succession. That was sort of half successful. But in the end, I thought that maybe a merger would be the best idea. And we found a really good uh, medium-sized firm that was uh, ambitious and had the same sort of ethos as we had in in um, helping mainly SMEs because that's a whole wide range of companies. So we merged in, in 2019. So I've got a bit of first-hand experience. But generally with exits, there are various ways, trade sales, occasionally a partial exit through a, a flotation, although that's not so easy nowadays. And as uh, Stephen says MBOs, MBIs, but also um, there's been, I think, a growth in employee ownership trusts, which is a way that business can be handed on to the employees in certain circumstances. And it is, if, if you've got that kind of business where the employees are playing a big part, then that is worth looking at. Andrew, from a from a big business point of view, certainly, you know, the, the stuff we hear about in the news, the big retailers... Uh, you know they they get run right down to the ground, and then someone like Mike Ashley comes in and strips the assets out and buys them. But that's not always the the best way to run a business. Retail, almost by definition, is a fashion business, and and people's tastes for fashion waxes and wanes. Probably the best fashion retailer in terms of longevity over decades and good direction is Next, under Lord Wolfson, Simon Wolfson, um, who he thinks widely accredited as being the probably the most gifted retailer of the last 30 years. And they've been able to do a number of things. I mean, they've, they've never over leveraged it. They, they own most of their freeholds. They went online almost before online with the next directory back in the mid the mid 80s. You, you, can, you can sort of name the various sort of reinventions that they have done early. And, and I think the success in retail is sort of knowing what the next fashion is before anybody else does, you know? We touched earlier on about um, cash flow, and I think that's a really important thing to talk about. Um, and that, you know, that distinction between struggling with cash flow and being a an insolvent business or one that hasn't got a future, where is the line, and and how should small business owners be approaching that um, when they have been struggling, when the money hasn't been coming in, they're now taking out loans to cover some of the staff costs or whatever. Where is the point at which you say actually this is an insolvent business? There are two better sort of more practicing accountants on this call than me. But just to make one point first, and that is that I think where businesses get whatever scale is, they don't pay for the best possible accounting advice on board or in advisors that they tell themselves they can't afford. And, you know, the, the quality of your future cash flow planning and the sensitivities around that and the scenario planning, they stand businesses in such good stead and they don't know how good it is until they've got it. Um, and many businesses fail because they haven't. I mean, just on that, before we go to, to Colin and, and Stephen, at a board level of a big company, would they have envisaged a pandemic scenario and planned for something like that? Not in my experience, no. <laughs> Obviously, governments would plan for a pandemic and you know work out the strategic way that they're going to deal with that. I wondered whether some big businesses would have done that, but you say not. Probably bigger than I, I get associated with, Stuart, but, but it's amazing how much, you know, now pandemics have, uh, have hit the risk registers. <laughs> yeah, they'll be, on the, they'll be on the list for the future stuff. Uh, Colin, yeah. on, on the kind of distinction between cash flow and insolvency, where are we at? A very important point, and we could have a, a podcast on, on that alone. 
it is very difficult because I'm not an insolvency practitioner, but I've been on the board of a number of small companies. And believe me, in smaller companies, uh, it is quite hairy at times, the dividing line between what's called wrongful trading and genuinely going through possibly a bad patch or you genuinely believe you can come out of this, the law can uh, have a retrospective effect. So if you trade on when on the face of it you are in difficulties, then if you can't get through it at the end of the day and uh, an insolvency occurs, they can look back and say, well, you should have stopped six months earlier or 12 months earlier. And that is quite frightening in my experience because I've been paranoid never to be involved in, in a company that uh, goes into, uh, into insolvency. And so it does concentrate the mind. But in practical terms, when you're actually operating within the company, you have got to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. But you've always got to have that in the back of your mind. And if you're advising, as Andrew said, you've got to tell you, especially if you're on the board, your fellow directors who might be more optimistic than realistic, you know, it is a broad decision. Should you carry on or whatever? And you've got to put in place all sorts of uh, things that will help you if, unfortunately, you do go into uh, insolvency. You can say, well, you know, we carried on because of A, B, C and D. And it was sensible at the time and more protection to creditors and shareholders by carrying on at that time um, than stopping. So it is a very difficult area. In, in my opinion. And Stephen, I guess with the multiple lockdowns that we've had, it's made that kind of looking to the future really hard for some businesses to know whether they will be able to pick up again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as Andrew said, nobody will have, you know, run a, a pandemic scenario or very few businesses will have run a pandemic scenario through in, in their planning basis. And I think just kind of touching on what, what Colin said there, I, I think kind of the key to this model is some real honest and open conversations around, are we just short of cash? Is this a, a potential, you know, a client's not paid us on time, but, you know, they're a good client or for, for a myriad of reasons where, where cash flow pressure might be, be put into the business. There's a huge difference between that and consistently not being able to pay your debts as they fall due. And when is the right time to to sit and have that, you know, the difficult conversation rather than the the optimistic conversation. I think that's a, the real key to it. And that's where you need to lean on your professional advisors and do some some cash flow forecasting because the, the longer it goes on without the, you know, the, the potential ramifications on you personally, as Colin said, from a, from a wrongful trading point of view, just start to increase. And uh, as we said, you know, no business had, had perhaps planned for a pandemic, but now that it's happened... Does that make businesses think a little bit to the future as being a bit more cautious in their cash flow planning and in their financial planning? I think so. I think it's, you know, it's just highlighted the old, you know, cliche of cash being king, hasn't it? There's a lot of businesses that have, you know, spent the last 12 months preserving cash. You know, I've seen businesses that have gone to their bank to to take money out as a just-in-case measure because schemes were coming to an end. And this has happened around every deadline that we've had around particularly the, the Siebel scheme, whereby the company would be in a sector that hasn't necessarily been affected. So I'll pick on the legal sector. A lot of those guys had cases to work during lockdown, but they weren't out winning new cases. So it kind of the effect hadn't hit and they weren't forecasting for it to hit until 
at some point this year because everything was uncertain around when they could open back up, where they could start generating the fees and, and the new cases. And, you know, when the courts would open again, there, there were so many unknowns. Whilst, you know, in some cases they had significant funds in the bank, they were that unsure about what was coming around the corner that they felt the need to go and get some cash in the bank just so everybody could sleep at night. And without being too pessimistic, Colin, uh, the the suggestion is there may be more pandemics to come in the future, whether it's a different coronavirus or something else. So, uh, you know, financial planning for a business that is growing at the moment is a really important thing. Absolutely. But um, the pandemic has opened people's eyes as to what unusual things could happen. And I think people will think, um, again, I mean, I was once involved in a, a business uh, in the... Uh, um, in animal health and you thought of all the things that could go wrong but you never thought of foot and mouth and when that happened, I don't know how many years ago it nearly put us under I mean we were fortunate enough to, to see them and then it, you start thinking what else can happen and you know anything can happen but you've got to be realistic that some things are very very slight that the pandemic's shown what, what can happen and what a terrible effect it can have on the whole economy and on people's lives. And I think things like this will happen again, unfortunately. So the world may change fairly dramatically in the near, in the near future. Where businesses have done much better than they would have otherwise is the fact we live in such a digitally connected world these days. Just think if, just think if uh, the pandemic had happened before Tim Berners-Lee um, you know, un- unwound the World Wide Web. So we've been able to do things that we, we couldn't have imagined 25, 30 years ago. One of my companies bought a business in Cleveland, Ohio, US, where, you know, the due diligence was done remotely, most of it, um, and where we only met the principals selling the business once, just before the pandemic kicked off. So, you know, I wouldn't have thought of doing these when I was a, a rookie corporate financier in the late 80s. So the world has changed for the better in many respects, I think. And I suppose you would all uh, sing the benefits of having a decent accountant or a, a finance person on your board and the return on investment you can get from that. Uh, for your business is worthwhile yes <laughs> i can I see you all nodding <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of help out there you know business advisors yeah. and support as well as uh you know accountants and and, and getting people involved mm-hmm. in your business and uh, i suppose it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help from outside if you if you need that support it's the real use of the word invaluable Stuart. i think <laughs> yeah it still goes on the bottom line as a cost though obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, the ecosystem has changed dramatically in terms of startups and small businesses, and there is a lot of help. And it's sort of tipping the other way because people starting out don't know what they don't know. And it can be very confusing. So you really do need what I would call a trusted advisor. Um, and it's best getting it by recommendation uh, rather than just picking someone who you may read about or whatever. Do get some recommendations before choosing your advisor. I think that having somebody, you know, close to the business that you can pick up the phone to and just say, what do you think about this? And, and who do you know that does X, Y, or Z? That's what every business needs, I think. And, and there's lots of various different levels of support. So some of the some of the mainstream banks have, have got shared office spaces where they'll, they'll run seminars for, for businesses. There's a lot of things through the places like the LEP or the British Business Bank have got a, uh, a hub as well. So that there's lots of support out there. But yeah, I, I think first and foremost, pick up the phone to, to your accountant, your trusted advisor and see what they think. 
Super. Well, it's been great to talk to you all. Thanks for coming on our podcast and uh, here's to a bright future for businesses. Thank you. Thank Thank you for the invitation. And plenty of free help and support through the Skipton and Ripon Enterprise Group as well. You can find their website at skiptonandrippenenterprisegroup.co.uk. This was a podcast from Skipton Bid and Rumbles Radio. If you've not yet listened to the other episodes in the series, do check them out. Lots of handy tips and advice for your business across a whole range of topics. You can find out more about the Skipton Business Improvement District at skiptonbid.com and lots more local news and information for your area at rumbledsradio.com where you can also tune in to hear the local radio station for Skipton, Keithley and Ilkley. Thank you for listening and for getting involved with the Skipton Business Support Podcast. Mm-hmm.